You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, part of the Tokyo Beat Network. Your mission is to infiltrate the United States of America. Fearless leader, we are honored. We are so honored. <laughs> After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the bitter end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast, you and friends, a podcast that movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time we are looking, starting off a, a series of films inspired by the classic show, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Hey, Rock, want to see me pull a rabbit out of my hat? Again. I don't know, Bullwinkle. Um, this is uh, a movie that premiered on Showtime. It, I think it was pretty clearly meant to be a theatrical originally. Uh, Boulders and Natasha, the movie. And it's directed by Charles Martin Smith, who played uh, Toad. Or is that the guy's name? The guy with the glasses in American Graffiti. I believe you're correct. Harry the Toad, yeah. Um, I'm Matt Bradley Shurgy. With me is Thrasher. And I'm recording live from an undisclosed location on the borders of WrestleMania and Migoslavia. <laughs> and Alex? That's exactly the thing I'm, I was going to say. So I'm just going to say thank you for listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends Podcast, a.k.a. the movie that has more movies to them. Or microphones. Aren't they special? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I guess before we start talking about the movie proper, we, maybe we can talk about our relationship to um, Rocky and Bowinkle and why you wanted to do the series Thrasher. Because I, I do think it's interesting that they've done a lot of sort of spinoffs on what was a TV show that ran for four seasons. I, I wouldn't quite say it's a cult hit, but it certainly has a very long uh, longevity as far as merchandising and uh, pop culture. Yeah, well, Rocky and, Rocky and Bullwinkle, you know, it's created created by Jay Ward. It was a, it was a, an animated series that began in the '60s, and it was one of the first examples of American animation that was written on a much more adult level. Uh, yes. And like Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle works on every level. It has everything from really really lazy puns to biting political satire. So it was a show that adults and kids could watch together and could both laugh just as hard. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the show's longevity. It's, it was owned by Burt Ward. It wasn't owned by the network. So as a result, um, it was it was on the air pretty much consistently from when it started up through the 90s, uh, through, hmm. through syndication and through reruns on cable. Um, and... I, at least when, when I was growing up, it, it, when it was in syndication on one of our local networks, it was just on at weird times. So I never, I, at that time, I never quite got into it. But then in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Buena Vista Video got the rights to Rocky and Bullwinkle and started putting out Rocky and Bullwinkle on VHS. And one of the things about Rocky and Bullwinkle is that they it had a huge supporting cast and the show was divided up into segments but every episode would have two segments which would be part of a larger serialized story that would run throughout the season and so what buena vista did is that they sort of edited all those segments together so that you got the complete narrative but then in between segments it had kind of a grab bag of the supporting segments and Watching those with my family that's when it clicked and I really 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 got into Rocky and Bullwinkle and my family got into it too. There was our local theater, The Narrow. They did a J. Ward film festival where they had all of the serialized huh. segments of one story arc edited together as a movie. But sure. then but then throughout it, they would show supporting material from not just Rocky and Bullwinkle, but many other uh, J. Ward cartoons like Hoppity Hooper and the Uncle Waldo show and uh, Tennessee Tuxedo and also serial commercials that J. Ward Productions animated. Didn't J. Ward uh, do it was the just Quisp commercials? Quisp, yes. Yeah, Quisp, yeah. Uh, Twinkles, things like that. Space <laughs> yarn. 
and and around that time in the nineties, there was a there was a Rocky Bullwinkle revival. Uh, Rocky Bullwinkle, Boris and Natasha were briefly the spokespeople for Taco Bell. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Yes. Where, yeah. where like everything was, oh, Boris will foist the boring McBoris burger on the American consumer, and then Rocky and Bullwinkle would have tacos, and and it was and and you know there's lots of merchandise. Uh, this is a fun fact, and and you can hear more about this. There's an interview that Tad Stone, uh, who was one of the 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 creative forces behind the Disney Afternoon, particularly Darkwing Duck, he did an interview with Laser Time a few years ago where he talks about this more in detail. But in the '90s. The Walt, Walt Disney Animation tried to do their own revival of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Scripts were written. The show was cast. They were about to start animating. And it was only then that someone said, hey, do we actually own the rights to Rocky and Bullwinkle? <laughs> and then they checked and fi- found out, no, Disney did not own the rights to Rocky and Bullwinkle but Man. it was such a big thing in animation. Everyone assumed that because of consolidation, Disney must have owned it at the time. <laughs> right. There's, I mean, speaking of, and stuff like that happens quite a lot. But like there was a, uh, an animatic uh, that, that leaked that was um, taken down. You can still find it if you dig around. It, apparently in 2003, the, um, I forget if that it might've been the director or the producer of eight crazy nights pitched disney on a kingdom hearts cartoon oh and yes it got far enough where he did an animatic with voices and stuff with the most of the voices from the game and uh that was recently on twitter for a hot second before disney knocked it down but um i have a copy i should probably pass around or something uh, or yeah, maybe like i don't who knows yeah. i just picture like, like the cigar chomping guy you know being like rocky and bowling of course we own that Rawr, get this fucking thing in production <laughs> Right. I mean, with the Kingdom Hearts things, what was kind of surprising is uh, it, it tested far better than like other stuff Disney was looking at at the time. But then Disney decided, oh, it's too dark. We can't have something. Meanwhile, you had stuff like the Ninja Turtles revival from 2003 that was, you know, more inspired by Batman, the animated series where it, uh, you know, it was a pretty violent show and you're starting to see more anime stuff uh, influence and, and make the, the Saturday morning cartoons have a harder edge. Uh, but that's neither here nor but there. On yeah, the, I mean, with, go on. Well, on the so on the subject of Rock and Bullwinkle, and if you're not yes. familiar with it, it's pretty accessible because a lot of it gets thrown up on YouTube, and you know, it's available yeah. on streaming. There's a revival I have not seen, uh, so I can't speak to its quality. But I mean, all you really need to know is that Bullwinkle J. Moose is a good-hearted but dim-witted moose, and his best friend slash roommate uh, is a, a squirrel, Rocky the Flying Squirrel, who's just an all-American boy, uh, even though they live in uh, and they all, and they all live in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. And because you, your heroes need antagonists, the two antagonists are two Potsylvanian spies, Boris and Natasha, who are always in the States doing some nefarious spy scheme. And that's one of the other things about Rocky and Bullwinkle, which I think kind of speaks speaks to how it became such a staple. It was heavily steeped in the Cold War. And the Cold War went all the way up through the 80s. So up until that point, Boris and Natasha were very current. But then one day, overnight, they stopped being current. Uh, and that is addressed in this film. Right. Not, not just that, though, but you um, had serialized storytelling, as you were getting at earlier. And that was very unusual at the time. And it, it, meaning not each episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle was a one-off. I mean, yes, you did have the the kind of standalone sections like fractured fairy tales and and things, but in the kind of the main part of the show, you might have you know some some big caper between Boris and Natasha and Rocky and Bullwinkle, and it would go on for like months until the story got resolved. Yeah, it was like the closest thing to like a like a like a serial. Yes, it, exactly. Um, no and it was done just like those. a serial. Like every segment would end on a cliffhanger, and then the narrator would always say, "You know, tune in next week for an episode entitled uh, this or this," yeah. which is a yeah. really archaic yes. thing where like chapters had multiple titles. Yeah, it would be like, it is, "Join and... us next week for Through the Back Door or How to Build a Chair That Lasts." Yes, and it's kind of tongue in cheek and cheeky, and the humor almost struck me as like almost more. Almost like British in a way. I don't know what it is. Maybe because I grew up watching like stuff like Banana Man or, or Darkwing yeah, Duck. Very or not, not, not Darkwing Duck, but the that whole is the Vampire Duck show. Maybe that was Canadian. Oh, Count British. Duckula. 
Thank you, oh, Cup Dracula. Yeah. Um, well, the humor and, was very yeah. rapid fire and also very meta. I mean, they the the main Rocky and Bullwinkle were aware they were in a cartoon show and would often talk about that. Right. I think yeah, um, the, breaking the fourth yeah. wall. The narration thing, too, was kind of uh, channeled in Beavis and Butthead. Because in between episodes, you'd have this, like, soft narration. Be like, tune in next week while Beavis and Butthead <laughs> brew some herbal tea and talk about their feelings. Well, it's some, something else. And this this goes to it being, like, you know, ostensibly a kid show with humor for adults. There's a line that always sticks with me where, like, they're – Rocky Bullwinkle are off to do something – and like I think they're camping or something, and Boris and Natasha are trying to infiltrate. So Natasha's trying to get in on the camping trip, and and Rocky says, "Oh, jeepers! What kind of fun can you have on a camping trip with a girl?" And Bullwinkle just turns <laughs> to the viewer and says, "Wow, this really is a kids show." <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's quite something. I think it's uh... all right. I mean, this actual movie here i had never seen this before watching it for the show but i assume thrasher you had or no I, no i wanted to we had uh i remember when this when this came out it came out like right when when i was really getting into rocky and bowwinkle and for whatever reason like i i didn't see it i don't know if I, it may have been because we didn't have the cable network it was on at the time but i remember seeing the seeing the trailer for this and just like really wanted to see it and then never seeing it and just disappeared and then i was reminded it exists ironically enough in college um and this may you remember that blockbuster that we used to go to you mean blockbuster video yeah 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 yep no, Blockbuster's Deli. Um, but yeah, well, we went we went there and like, I guess it came out on DVD or something because yes, it, it was on like the TVs in there. And then there's Boris and Natasha, and you know, showed zany clips. Like, oh yeah, that's a thing. I really should check that out. Uh, and then again, I could never find the DVD. And then a few uh, a few weeks ago. I was just, you know, going through the dregs of Tubi, and then I saw, oh, new, uh, new on Tubi. Boris and Natasha, and that's when the idea for this series of episodes really uh, grabbed me and strangled me. That, that's great, yeah. Um, this, I, I had known about only because, uh, as I mentioned on the show here and there, uh, when my family got their first kind of family computer, I mean, it was the, the, the day and age when computers were expensive and computers were in a family room, they weren't in someone's bedroom, right? Uh, <laughs> or in an office. And which which I think is smart, really, with kids, because we, we sort of want to know what's going on. And uh, but anyhow, um, I had a thing called Cinemania '94, and it basically was ebooks and a CD-ROM of all the Leonard Maltin, Roger Ebert had some Pauline Kael stuff on there, but also had video clips and music clips. I mean, before the internet was a big thing, it was a, I think a really good resource that that carried on for a few years there. Um, yeah. And, and Boris Natasha was listed on there because, of course, I went through that thing obsessively, A to Z, looking through it all. And uh, and so I, I knew of the movie. I had never seen it in a video store, and I worked at a few different blockbuster videos over the years and, and worked in movie retail. So, I mean, it, it always had limited pressings. Um, I think that the current version on DVD is, is done as a print-on-demand, which I think is a pretty smart um model for the the physical media business uh especially these days we might cover that in a special episode Ooh. Hey. uh hey now yeah uh, but with um with the, the the boris and natasha stuff looking at the cover at least the cover that's listed on wikipedia it says it's good to be bad baby but has an artwork flub of doing a uh kind of like specular lighting on the bomb that happens to be a similar color to the font, making it difficult to read. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, the, the, I mean, what about you, Alex? Have you seen this before or did you, have much, no uh, did you grow up with Rocky and Bullwinkle that much? Yeah, I had no idea it existed. Um, growing up, Rocky and Bullwinkle was always on the damn television and I loved every minute of it. Um, but no, I had no idea this movie existed. I knew, I remember there was like a, a moose and squirrel resurgence in the late yes, 90s, yes. early 2000s, like the Taco Bell ads and shit. Um, I have to say, I got to tell my dad about this movie because he'll fucking love it. Um, Great. 
I mean, the the Cold War humor and everything. I mean, my father's like, you know, about to retire. So this is right up his alley. But yeah, no, I was surprised. I was like, OK, hey, Boris and Natasha, live action, Sally Kellerman, Dave Thomas. Let's let's fucking do this. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and, uh, and that's a good place to start uh, really with that masterful transition. You know, yeah, it does have in the leads. As Boris and Natasha, you have Dave Thomas and Seller, Sally Kellerman, respectively. Dave Thomas was uh, a member of SCTV, also known as one half of uh, Bob. Bob. Is it and Bob Doug and Doug? Mackenzie, thank you. That, that he was a hoser, eh? Strange Brew. Um, him and Rick Moranis uh, for those roles, they also basically reprised those roles as uh, animals in the, in the Disney duology, Brother Bear. Um, and he actually, before he started the SCTV stuff, he was like in marketing for Coca-Cola and stuff. He had been in a few episodes of the Gilbert Godfrey Colossal Podcast and I was involved in their newsletter for, um, uh, a good bit until the, uh, uh untimely end more or less uh, with, with Gilbert's passing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, SCTV is legendary. Um, I'm still pissed that Netflix, they filmed a live SCTV reunion that even had Rick Moranis show up on stage, which is oh, a big deal yeah. because he's, and they just haven't released it yet. And I thought, are there rights issues? Are they just not going to release it? And Martin Scorsese like produced the uh, the live show, and they're like, nope, Netflix is just sitting on it. <laughs> it's like, what are they waiting? Come for? on, these people it's aren't not, getting any good. older. What What's so weird is they did release their Laugh-In tribute, and I think I'm the only person alive who knows Laugh-In huh. and remembers it fondly. <laughs> Like, that exists only for me, so why not do SCTV? Right. Of course. And, I mean, SCTV was basically the Canadian uh, contemporary to Saturday Night Live, but, like, a very young Martin Short got his start there. John Candy, uh, the, um, oh, the guy that played the the dad on American Pie, Eugene Levy, right, was big on there. Uh, Just a a lot of just solid actors. But Sally Kellerman, I'm not as familiar with. Are you? Oh, she was Hot Lips and Mash. Son of a bitch. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And also, in if you grew feature. up in the 90s, you um, probably saw her a bunch in the Rodney Dangerfield vehicle, Back to School. And ah, I believe yes. Sure. She's the ghost in Meatballs 3. I've wanted to cover Meatballs for the show, and I think we might have to resort to YouTube, because... I think most of the sequels never got a DVD release, and there's some dodgy right stuff going on. Well, um, I'm sure there are. Um, yeah. Sally Kellerman's got a pretty interesting filmography, but she's very much rooted in the Robert Altman, Alan Rudolph uh, vehicle uh, filmographies. Um, yeah, a lot of Altman joints, and a couple Alan Rudolph movies. It was kind of like before P.T. Anderson, like Little Altman. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. That's cool. Um it, I'd like to talk about, before we get into the rest of the cast, I would like to talk about yep. their performances. Because, yes. so in, in the original animated series, uh, Boris Badenov was played by Paul Frees, who is a legendary voice actor. Absolutely. You heard his voice. Everywhere. Uh, he, yep. he's, he's the Orson Welles stand-in you got when you couldn't get Orson Welles, who sounds more like Orson Welles than Orson Welles does. <laughs> he's the original voice of Professor Ludwig von Drake. Uh, and so he, uh, there's a fascinating biography of him that was published by Film Facts. And okay. his his Ukrainian accent, which is the accent he's doing for Boris Badenov, was so convincing that when he was in a play, a Ukrainian refugee, this was like right after World War II, um, oh, man. Like came into his dressing room like, oh, how good it is to see someone from the old country. And Boris, <laughs> who's, who's, you know, up like the totally Americans like, oh, no, 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 I'm I'm that was just a voice. I'm an American dude. I, I'm not actually I have no Ukrainian ancestry. And the guy got into a fight with him. Like, how dare you turn your back on your heritage? And Fuck. he just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't explain to this guy. No, this is just that's a voice. That's not me. Um, yeah. And Dave Thomas. And so he has this this really over the top accent which was where a lot of the humor comes from. Dave Thomas doesn't even attempt to do the voice. And I think that's a mistake. He should at least, you know, Dave Thomas is just talking like Dave Thomas. Every now and then he tortures the letter I in a word and that's it. And I think that's to its detriment because he looks exactly like Boris. Uh, 
whereas Sally Kellerman, not only did, with the haircut looks just like the cartoon Natasha Vital, she is putting on an accent and trying everything she can to sound like June Foray, who is the original voice of Natasha Vital. And to give her cre- like credit, it's not a great accent, but it's a consistent accent, and that really works for the character. Well, yeah, also, I mean, consistency is is everything. Uh, I think I, I wish, I mean, this is petty, but I wish uh, Sally Kellerman's uh, wig was a bit longer for the hair. Uh, but and she, maybe she could have laid the accent on a little bit thicker, but it's tricky when you're, you know, you want to not uh, take too much focus away from the other cast members. And when Dave Thomas is not, I don't know if I'd say not committing, but he's just making a choice to to not heavily lean into the, because what, the, the the voice for Boris was, oh, we are going to get to Moose and Squirrel. Right? I mean, it's this very um, Slavic, thick, kind of kind of overdone voice and and how how would uh, how would you describe like how natasha sounds kind of like you know the 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 sort of the the eastern european accent but also a lifetime of smoking yeah there's more rasp to it huskiness sure yeah um i mean like it, it's funny because dave thomas He's, I think he's doing what you would call, like, in the in the theater world, like, almost an international accent. It's not, it's not very Russian, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like, ah, yes, da, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's what we call uh, mustachian, is what we call yes. that accent. <laughs> it's mustache, yes. for, which works, I think. But you know what? I, I was playing a little fantasy casting in my head. Do you know who I thought would be great? Ooh, who? Bob Hoskins. <laughs> man yes. yeah because yeah. he when he does an accent i mean look at him in roger rabbit like i don't yeah, think right? that's, that's necessarily a super accurate kind of new yorky it, it accent works though but he does no i mean yeah. if he's uh, like a lot of british actors and, and maybe this comes from the theatrical training and you know way back to british actors in theater and the globe theater and you really got to be loud and lean into something to get a laugh yep. like british actors lean in hard sometimes to their detriment but right. at least they make a real choice. Exactly. And, and stick to it. I, Who wants a freeway? I, I, ride a red car for a nickel. I, I'd be terrified of a Bob Hoskins Boris Badenov only because yes. I feel like he wouldn't make a pun and put on a silly disguise. He'd hit you on the back of the head and then you'd wake up with your testicles wired into a car battery. Yeah. He's about to throw the switch. Speaking of actually, terrifying. You'd actually be a threat as a terrorist to the nation. Say goodbye to Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of terrifying casting, so remember Christopher Lloyd in Roger Rabbit and how scary he is? Oh yeah. Yes. Originally, one of the people they they wanted for it was uh, I, I need to con- confirm this with Gary Wolf, the, the author of the original Roger Rabbit novels, um, who, who I'm trying to get on the show. But uh, he, um, you know, some someone mentioned on this group, uh, Tim Curry was originally uh, heavily in the running. And just like when Tim Curry did the auditions for the Joker and Batman, they're like, this guy's too fucking scary. <laughs> but man, I wonder what his accent and voice would have been, especially the part and he's, when he's screaming and it's like, remember your, the person you killed your brother sounds just like this. Remember when I killed your brother already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just some, yeah, just something. It's, um, Anyhow, we have to. It's the contractually obligated Tim Curry mention once an episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. But so this this cast though, yeah. we we get uh, we get you know John Calvin, we get Andrea Martin, another SCTV uh, alum. John uh, Candy. Pat, yeah, Pat, yeah, John Candy. Sid Haig. Yeah, Sid Haig. Alex Rocco. No, Mo- really solid so. cast. John Travolta. John Travolta <laughs> as himself, which. Which speaks to both how well remembered Rocky and Bullwinkle was for the generation that grew up with it, but also like how relevant it was at the time with that '90s revival that John Travolta plays himself for a joke cameo in this this little movie. Also, one actor that got me particularly excited was uh, Christopher Neem as Fearless Leader. Now, fun bit of trivia with Christopher Neem. I can, I, I, you know, my obligatory Hammer reference is that he was in the um, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two film as Johnny Alucard. Nice. And now what happened? There was while they were filming um, one scene. Christopher Lee just got as 
Christopher, as uh, Christopher Neem says, Chris got a little carried away and actually bit me on the neck and pierced the skin. Oh, so he puts on his re- acting resume that he's an actual vampire because he was bit by Christopher Lee. <laughs> so on Christopher, that's, so yeah. Yeah, as fearless leader, we have real life vampire Christopher Neem. That's great. Uh, you know, it, the we were talking about the, the narration stuff of the original show. One of my favorite things about this movie is uh, the narration, which is done not by the original narrator, but it's done much in the same style by Corey Burton, who's a huge voiceover guy. Uh, people might know him best from the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoons, taking over the Christopher Lee role of Count Deku, uh, also voicing Cad Bane, and the delightful voice performance of the uh, uh, quite campy Zero the Hut. Okay. Interesting. He's, and he's also the yeah. current Ludwig von Drake, I believe. Ooh. That, that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, making the connection uh, inadvertently earlier to Paul Freese. And, and he voiced Brainiac in a lot of the, the, the DC cartoons, Superman animated series and so forth. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, big, big... Voice, he voiced Dracula in Avengers Assemble and Ultimate Spider-Man. Really? They had what? cartoons. Okay. I mean, Marvel did do a Dracula comic, so. Oh, yeah. There you go. Who could forget Tomax and G.I. Joe? Oh, those are the twins. Holy shit. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> Tomax <laughs> and Zamot. Yeah. How crazy. Anyhow. Yeah, right. I mean, so, I mean, I think as a narrator, he knows exactly. And I think he must have been a fan of Rocky and Boinkle. He knows how to hit that tone. It, it gets really ridiculous. It does break the fourth wall at some points. Like, and as people sitting in this theater, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like he, he, so, I mean, that is the clue that this was meant to be a theatrical thing originally. Right. After several more think? disorienting jump cuts, we arrive yes, at the yes. scene <laughs> of the crime. <laughs> right. I mean, this movie does much like the cartoon does jump all over the place. And in the beginning where they're in Pottsylvania and sort of, uh, in, in intrigue meeting with fearless leader and sort of, making an escape, uh, uh, you know, going over to America for their mission, um, or New York, rather. It it, it really felt, uh, part of me is, Mike, you know, this this is a pretty good lookalike for some of the Indiana Jones scenes in the Middle East of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I was also reminded a bit of Life of Brian with kind of, they make yes. stuff look worn and dirty, and uh, and yet it still had a real pep to the editing, I think, at this point in the film. In the, it's, it's a strong opening, I felt. Yeah, and also it like it uh, it addresses the Cold War and the the fall of the Berlin Wall, and just kind of like the the geopolitics of the time. And it's irreverent and funny and ironic. And I was like, I'm sold. You got you hit like three of my, uh, you know, fucking um, areas of interest. Um, I'm I'm in. This is I'm already having a ball. And yeah, they don't you, act. Oh yes. And what does he say? He's like, and the bad guy who gets like the most steam for every entrance <laughs> when they they introduce like the red herring spy they send instead of because um, yes, Boris yeah. and Natasha are basically the red herrings. Agent X. Yes, yeah. Agent X. But yeah, I do love that. And and like they don't they don't pretend like recent history didn't happen. They make it part of the plot because like you know like what is the plot? It starts off like a completely. Rocky and Bullwinkle type thing where there's a scientist who's invented a microchip that can rewind time three seconds. And that's straight out of like Rocky and Bullwinkle where like, where like, what was the, one of the, one of the big stories was um, the Hushaboom where a scientist <laughs> invents a silent explosive. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's so, basically tenant. So Christopher Nolan, you, you, you know, you ain't got shit on Rob, Boris and Natasha. You know, you're shockingly right, and it wouldn't necessarily <laughs> be the first time Scrooge or McDuck. Uh, anyway, right. uh, so, yeah, and so the whole deal is, is that scientist disappeared, but they believe he's in America, so Boris and Natasha have to be sent to America to find him. But because this is the fall of the Cold War and the era of Glasnost, which they, like, really heavily point out in the opening narration, their cover is they have to pretend to defect to the United States. <laughs> and that right off the bat, oh yeah, Boris and Natasha defect to the U.S. That practically writes itself. Oh yeah, definitely it does. And I, I do like you have a lot of um, not just government satire, but or sort of corporate satire about the, the bumbling of the CIA, and they're they're having you know you have the one sided glass that kind of classic type of setup in, in procedural shows, and they're going like. Well, you know, do, we can obviously, uh, you know, boot them out of the country. They don't deserve to come in. Wait a second. You know, if we spy what they're saying, we can pick up on uh, Pottsylvania uh, 
uh, you know, we can we can spy on, we can get like leaks and stuff, and make make a bigger case for themselves. And there's a good and running I, gag of them in their. Unfortunately, a lot of this movie is them in their hotel room, which I don't think does it any favors. But you do get some great exterior shots of a gazillion spies hanging on uh, bungee cords and stuff recording mm-hmm. outside of the hotel room, which I thought was a, I, I laughed at that gag every time. I think also like, and I love that bit where Alex Rocco's like, and we got to double the surveillance. And then the camera just pulls back. <laughs> There's even more yes. spies hanging <laughs> outside right. the window. I also think it's brilliant is because if you underlie the dismantled Soviet union, and then you go back to the old school, like, you know, you know, baddie Soviet villain mustache rolling villains. I mean, we had Russia for like, fucking for years if we needed a, a, a cookie cutter movie villain and then you take away the soviet union and you you know you got uh you know fucking gorbachev and perestroika and glass and stuff like that it makes their chicanery so much more silly because it's like antiquated shit that doesn't happen anymore so when they're like up the surveillance spy on them 24 7 and the punchline is basically they get nothing because not only a they belong to an empire that doesn't exist b they're bumbling fucking idiots yeah, yep. and and I think and even then that kind of goes back to the original cartoon where they make a point they're not Russian spies, they're Pottsylvanian spies. They're from a podunk nowhere Eastern Bloc country that wishes it was Russia. Right, so it just exactly. affects the worst excesses of like Russia and Germany during World War II. <laughs> yeah. Which is the better way to go, because there's no hurt feelings. It's just better sportsmanship, y'all. Yeah. But like and and I kind of like that this movie is all over the place because, like, one of the first things that happens is while they're trying to track down the scientist, they find a lead and he's, like, connected to the fashion industry somehow. And Jose <laughs> Iber shows up playing himself. Uh, and then Natasha – and this is the thing. From the very – going back to the cartoon, Natasha is heroin chic. And they play around with that. She's built like what a 90s model is built like. So she oh, just totally. flat out becomes mm-hmm. a 90s model. Yeah, this is – funny because out of all of the um like fish out of water let's remake all of our 60s sitcoms but put them in the 90s like the brady movie um the beverly hillbillies i think this does that time transplant the best because like what 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 would boris and natasha be like in the go-go 90s of america and you get a lot of that they go shopping sally kellerman gets seduced by capitalism and fame um and also the i love that like meta celebrity playing a celebrity you know playing the unwitting celebrity in the film you know sequel cast two and friends is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time hosted by me matt bradley shuri alex and thrasher we also look at video games we're working through sierra online's adventure games from mystery house all the way up through gabriel knight 3 and larger pop culture topics it's a lot of fun for more info go to sequelcast2.com only on the tokyo beat network sure and uh, there's also a very funny bit uh, fairly early on in the film where they're in their their hotel room and and the neighbors uh, pop in to visit yeah, and, and this is such a weird thing. So yeah, it's uh, it's Harv and Toots played by <laughs> John Calvin and Andrea Martin. Who it's it's what it's one of those things where like okay, yeah, goofy American neighbors, but then they keep showing up. I'm like oh, well then they'll turn out to be spies, maybe from another intelligent agency. Right. And then they kept showing up, and that reveal never came. I'm like, well then why are they here? Do we want to sk- do we want to get to the the big reveal with the end? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. But I mean, I think that dinner scene is cute. I think it really worked. I I don't know. I think it works as a standalone scene. Does it help I, the plot? Could it be I cut? I think it's probably cute, but it didn't work for me. So like in in the end, they are uh, Harv and Toots are revealed to be um, spies uh, working with the CIA to help like you know recover the microchip. Only it turns out their code names are Moose and Squirrel. Only it turns <laughs> out they are Rocky and Bullwinkle, but they've had plastic surgery. And this is where it gets this is that and this is where it gets weird because apparently for this movie and the reason why they don't make too many references to the cartoon is apparently they only had the rights to Boris and Natasha and yeah, Fearless yeah. Leader. It was the rights were done piecemeal, so they couldn't actually the have rights, Rocky and Bullwinkle, yeah. and they couldn't say that these two characters are meant to be Rocky and Bullwinkle, but they can say they're spies whose code names right. are Moose and Squirrel. There and part of the reason, part of the reason it falls apart is that like, is that um, Rocky 
Rocky is a boy. So Rocky having plastic surgery to look like, like a like a woman that 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 brings up some issues that I don't think this zany movie is prepared to deal with. <laughs> and and the other thing that hurts is that after it's revealed that you know Toots is codenamed Squirrel, she says something and they pitch her voice up, but it just sounds like Andrea Martin pitched up. It does not sound like Rocky at all, <laughs> um, which is ironic because June Foray has a cameo in this movie as a Potsylvanian right. refugee who tries to like, oh, Natasha, I am such big fan of yours. My family is coming from Potsylvania. And then like she kind of gets like hustled off by security. It was great to see June Foray on screen. Yeah. She is a legendary voice actress, like made it to like a hundred, was constantly working. She had a stroke and she kept working. Like Aww. she is an amazing voice actress. That's... That's extraordinary. I'm reminded of, um, I don't know the guy's name in front of me, but the original voice actor for George Jetson was in quite poor health, and he came out of retirement to voice George Jetson for the, the movie in the late 80s, the cartoon movie. Oh, yeah. And they had to, because um, stuff was mainly analog back then, they had to like do some pitch shifting on the tape to get his voice to sound like it did uh, back uh, you know, a few decades ago when he did the original show. And then right yeah, after he well, did that, he died of a stroke. Yeah, both both he and um, Mel Blanc as as Spacely, they both they both died within a year of of recording their performances, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's dark, but you you can he- you can hear that they're near the end in those voice tracks Aww. in what well, should be Mel otherwise Blank, a fun zany movie. Mel Blanc unfortunately died like in a, he really liked fast cars and and just like died in a car accident, but um, it's yeah, I mean that's for for them to sort of end their career on a feature version of one of their classic cartoons. I mean, you could end on something much worse. Yeah. But like, but like ironically, like with June Foray, this was like halfway through her career when she did this movie. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and, but yeah, and there's just like a lot of stuff yeah. going on. There's a lot of fun set pieces. There's a bit where like Boris and Natasha, they basically have a falling out slash breakup when like, you know, when Natasha comes to terms with the fact that she loves Boris, but Boris can't reciprocate because he's a sociopath, <laughs> but so is she. Like it's like, ironically, they're a perfect match because they're right. both equally capable of killing each other. It cracks me um, up though. Cause I did wonder that as a kid and to this present day. So I've actually, normally I'd be like, Oh, the romance, we have to have that, you know, but I was actually, I, I got excited when that got, when that was brought up because I did wonder, I was like, are they married? Are they just agents? Are they just... Will they, won't they? Hubba hubba, wink wink, nudge nudge. I, yeah, and I, God, I love that bit where, like, Boris is depressed because they've, they've separated, and there's that whole bit where, like, he's playing with model trains, but he's derailing them and <laughs> blowing them up. Yeah, no, that was a good yeah. moment. I, I also... Yeah, I mean, I think... No, go on. I, I do... I like Alex Rocco. He's just got that great voice. Mo Green. And Boris and yeah, Natasha. And, yeah, he's the head of the CIA. He he's good, and the John Candy scene. I mean, I wish he would have been in the movie more, but I'm sure he was expensive. Oh, but yes. like, he has this like potato, and he's kind of a <laughs> he's just sort of like a deep throat character a bit. And he's eating he's eating the raw potato, and he has that great <laughs> laugh when he's like, you know, we're here doing spy work. We need to know of microchip, and he just has that extended laugh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's like laughing at the idea of continuing the Cold War battles. Um, and, and what it made me think of is, uh, in the original Ghostbusters, he was um, originally cast in the Rick Moranis part, oh, but he yeah. insisted on doing it with a Russian accent. Ah. Which uh, so, so now we're getting uh, a taste of what that could have been like. Right. That's what I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, because Dan Aykroyd and, uh, and all the other people in the film just thought that was inappropriate for it, what they wanted, and John Candy wouldn't budge. So they just and, did uh, Moranis instead, uh, who I think is fantastic in the Ghostbusters film. And, but and I got to say, when Agent X dispatches with John Candy as Kalashak, which makes you wonder: Do you think his name was supposed to be Caddyshack? Because I can't. Oh, Kalashak maybe. sounds like it should be a joke, yes, but definitely. I can't place yes. what the joke is. Where where Agent X replaces his potato, and of course you think, oh yeah, yeah, poison potato. But he bites in the potato, and there's a whole grenade <laughs> in the potato. <laughs> That's quite the explosion. And it just I explodes. Yeah, yeah, they this, they explode the shit out of him. This movie has some some of the best dummy work I've ever seen. Like that ex- explosive quick cut of him blowing up when he's replaced with a dummy. It's so good you can't tell that's where the transition is. There's multiple shots of 
Boris getting hit by a car. And like <laughs> the way the dummy flops when the dummy Boris gets hit is hilarious every time. I'm I laughed out loud just thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, damn I mean, funny. So I mean overall Boris and Natasha I think I would give it a sequel no. I mean, there's certainly enjoyable stuff in here, but I feel like Dave Thomas's lead performance kind of brings things down a bit. And it feels, uh, to me, even though it runs 88 minutes, it still feels a little bit too long. I think that the opening of the film, I think, for me, for me worked much better than, than the rest of it. And it, it could have been a bit more zippy. It was missing a little urgency, I think, that you get a bit of that towards the end. But it, on the other hand, just like Rocky and Bullwinkle, Rocky and Bullwinkle wasn't really plot focused. It's more about like individual little vignettes that all kind of loosely tie into a story. And, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. There's enjoyable stuff here. The narrator I really liked, but just on the, I, I would say kind of like a, a, it's barely a sequel. No, for me, um, Thrasher. I'm going to give it a mild sequel. Yes, I think you will get more out of it. If you are a fan of Rocky and Bullwinkle, I think you will get more out of it if you approach looking at it as a weird historical relic of, of what was going on in the world after the fall of the Soviet Union and the reunification of Berlin. Um, it, it does, like, the, the parts that made me laugh made me laugh so hard and so loudly. And I think I think what prevents this, I think what makes this a mild sequel, yes, and not an unqualified sequel, yes, for me, is looking looking at this i think all the material on the page is there but it, the direction needs to be tightened up and dave thomas needs mm -hmm. to be doing a bit more of a character thing for for uh boris and it occurred to me if you took this exact same script and this exact same cast maybe give it a little more money not much but a little and you make the director Barry Sonnenfeld, I think Ooh, this would be yeah. just it's as crazy. well remembered today as the Brady Bunch movie and the original uh, Adams Family movie. Certainly. Alex? Um, I'm going to give this a sequel, yes. I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, you can definitely feel the... Uh, the it's a little bit of a slight on the budget. Uh, uh, it's a little slight budget. Um, but it's a fun, uh, goofy, ironic... Um, comic slice of fun i mean also i mean the challenge in adapting a, a animated um not an animated series but you know characters from a very famous animated series that's uh, that's kind of a that's a that's a bold gamble there you know it's a hard one to, to really uh, navigate um but i think they do fairly well um it's got a it's got a good self-awareness it's got a there's some mass, some parts work better than the others, but I thought it was a breezy, fun 88 minutes. So, yeah, no, I dug it. Sequel, yes. All right, there you go. So, um, as of this recording, you can find Boris and Natasha, the movie, uh, for free in the United States, streaming on the Tubi app. Um, it's also available on some DVDs, uh, if you poke around, although those might be out of print looks like the last uh, dvd in uh, the states at least is from uh, a decade ago but uh, anyhow if you're a rocky and bullwinkle fan i think this would be a fun one to put to your collection and hey state the credits there's a post-credit sequence Ooh, that's it's right can you group. talk about that because i don't think i saw that yeah well so there's a bit where um and and this is one of the weirdest set pieces where they need to sneak they need to go into a hotel, but they know they're being chased, so they need to do assumed identities. So they do the classic, oh, Boris and Natasha put on disguises and pretend to be other characters. And so they pretend to be two tourists from Ireland, Mr. and Mrs. Obese. And they wear these ridiculously horrible fat suits, <laughs> and they both speak with flawless, over-the-top Irish accents. And anyway, huh. short version is they have a corpse in their hotel because one of the people they were looking for was has been assassinated and the bellhop comes in. And so they convince the bellhop. Oh, no, no, no. He's our marriage counselor. And he's also a hypnotherapist. He's hypnotized himself. That's why he's flopping around. So we're just going to put him in the closet and you can tell him your problems. And he's very insightful. And then they run off. And so the bellhop is just kind of like leans against the, the door and says, doctor. I think my problems do go back to when I was 10 years old. And that's kind of where it's left. If you go through the credits, 
it cuts back to him and he's like basically finishing up telling his life story to the corpse. <laughs> and you, you get just some more oh. of the bell hops, like sad sack life story. <laughs> I love it. I see. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. I wish I would have stayed to see that, you know, at, at the time, uh, post-credit sequences were pretty unusual unless it was a Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> right. So, um, or Wayne's world. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, Moving on to what you're watching. So, I mean, Kevin Smith is uh, something we're a fan of here on Sequel Cast 2 and Friends. We Not too long ago, we covered James Hill Bob Strike Back. And uh, just a few days ago, it became for available as a digital purchase. I ponied up the dough and got Clerks 3. Ooh. So we... Now, is that something um, we might cover in the future? Or? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll, I'll tread lightly, but I'll, I'll, I'll just say this much. If you thought Clerks 2 got too serious... Um, you're not going to like Clerks 3. <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not saying that to, to damn Caesar, but to praise him. Uh, but uh, Caesar Smith, of course, the relator to uh, Kevin Smith. But yeah, it's it's very, like a lot of Kevin Smith stuff, very self-reflexive. And in brief, the plot, that just the, the very beginning of the plot is um, Dante, who's the one with the uh, goatee, decides to make a movie about working in a convenience store. Aha. Uh-huh. Which is a choice. Um, but I have a feeling this will be the final Clerks film. Although saying that out loud, knowing Kevin Smith, um, <laughs> perhaps perhaps not. Who knows? <laughs> so what I'm almost more excited about is uh, Kevin Smith is going to finish out his Canadian trilogy which started with Tusk, continued with Yoga Hosers, he's going to make Moose Jaws. Okay. I enjoyed Tusk. Yes, which is Jaws uh, with a moose. And (laughs) it's going to be a physically built uh, animatronic mechanical moose. I hope we see the track the moose runs on (laughs) in multiple shots. I hope so. I think... Um, I've never seen a moose in a while, but I've had some Canadian friends, and I, I've been told moose are, are really fucking scary. Oh, no, they're huge, and yeah. they can gore you something fierce. Right. Maybe I'll look up moose gore videos for fun after this episode, but uh, there you go. Um, Alex, what you watching? So, as of last night, um, my girlfriend and I recently watched the latest Alex Garland film, Man. Oh, yeah, I, I've heard a little bit about this. Was so, it, uh, what do you think? I, I can only refer to it, do, do, do either of you watch Big Mouth? Oh, yes, yes. So remember no. the episode where um, Marty Glauberman, Andrew's dad, is is, is riffing on the um, introduction? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's just like, ah, this is ridiculous. Oh, a sperm, that's disgusting. And he's like, this intro's taking too long. You know what's a good intro? Two and a half men. And he just goes, men! <laughs> <laughs> so now that's all I can think of whenever I hear this movie title. Um, so I loved, so Alex Garland, um, Ex Machina and Annihilation. I thought Ex Machina was really good. I think Annihilation is a goddamn masterpiece. So I was excited and hesitant going into men because it kind of felt like, hey, I'm the male director. I'm going to tackle gender and sexism and save the day or something like that. And I don't know. to tackle. Yeah. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And also from a male perspective. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, right. Um, so it starts out as kind of this like provincial, like a folk car is really hip now all of a sudden. Um, it starts out as kind of a provincial, kind of folky out in the country English horror film. And it kind of has this kind of, uh, is this all in her head or is this really happening kind of thing going on? And honestly, I feel like this movie went into production with like half a fucking script. Like... It's mm. trying to say something doesn't say a whole hell of a lot. Spins its wheels. It's really laborious. It's not very creepy at times. It's actually kind of funny. You say laborious? Yeah, laborious. <laughs> I would. I would rather watch Boris and Natasha again. Um, okay. It's. I mean, there's creepy moments. Alex Garland is good at creating, you know, atmospheric uh, tension and mood, which is I'm fucking all about that. Um. But it's just kind of repetitive and uh, very anticlimactic and 
the things that make it interesting have been done by other people in more interesting ways. And there's also this really kind of misguided, like, um, like a folklore, uh, you know, about the uh, Green Man horror narrative. Uh, I'm veering dangerously close to the spoiler territory, but yeah, men, not a fan. Alex Garland, you're great, but um, I, 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 I'll eagerly anticipate your next project. Right, I think you should put that on a t-shirt, Alex. Men, not a fan, and just see what reaction you get. <laughs> right, yeah. I'll make it work. It's I about a movie. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta explain my t-shirt. My, uh, my letterbox, my pissy letterbox review was, um, uh, Alex Garland is here to save us from the perils of toxic masculinity when somebody should have saved him from himself. You know, I was looking at the, uh, while you were talking, the uh, IMDb of the the DP of Boris and Natasha, Darren Okada, and I mean he did some really iconic films like uh, oh. Phantasm Two, Lake uh, Lake Placid, Halloween H two O. Oh yeah, uh, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the um, American pie film that's actually pretty good American Reunion the uh, fourth one so nice. there you go um, Thrasher what have you been watching I I watched a movie that let me down I watched uh, Jexy which is co-directed by John Lucas and Scott Moore it's starring Adam Devine uh, Amanda Ship, Ron Funches Ron Funches is great in everything uh I, I will not put this movie stink on Ron Funches. Uh, same thing with Wanda Sykes. This So this is a movie that came out in 2019, but due to a number of factors, when I saw this, I thought it came out this year. Like, somehow it is dated, oh. but dated to the present moment. <laughs> and and the, the, short, the short of it is that, uh, is that Adam Devine plays this guy who... They try to make us think he has an obsession with his cell phone. He really doesn't. The movie doesn't do much to establish that, uh, aside from a thing in the opening credit sequence where we see him being handed a phone at different ages throughout his his childhood. But the short of it, uh, he he works. He's a writer for a website that makes listicles, and he gets a new phone. And the new the new phone has one of those voice activated personal assistants, kind of like an Alexa. Uh, but there's something wrong with it, and it just is like completely. Uh, his phone is a sociopathic asshole that keeps trying to get him to engage in dangerous and self-destructive behaviors, until suddenly it doesn't for no reason. Um, and then he meets a uh, then like based on like the phone's prodding, he hooks up with this woman. Their relationship starts to take off. Then the phone decides it's jealous of him and tries to break them up. So here's. There's a lot, this movie has a lot of flaws, and among its many flaws is each scene in this movie, the script itself seems to get amnesia about what happened in all previous scenes. (laughs) So characters' motivations are completely inconsistent, character behaviors are completely inconsistent. There's this thing where, like, he where he, there's this running bit where he drives to work and every time he drives to work the cell phone is like you're waiting too long just pull out into traffic just pull out into traffic and like that becomes the way he drives as he just starts recklessly pulling out into traffic and cutting across busy lanes and really getting off on it um but then when he's on a date with this this woman they leave there they see some people like riding on bikes with all these like glow sticks on them so they go out there and join the bike ride i don't know where they got those bikes that they're riding but they have bikes <laughs> and there's this like road on top of a hill and everybody starts riding down it and then all of a sudden for no reason adam divine's like oh no i can't do this it's too scary it's too dangerous motherfucker you have been breaking traffic <laughs> violations this whole goddamn movie <laughs> why is this where you draw the line right also it's not steep <laughs> although ironically when the brakes fail and like and like another example is like when he does the whole i have to ru- i have to run and get to the woman who i broke up with so that i can confess my true feelings when they do that he runs out of his house and like hails a cab you own a car 
Why are you hailing a cab? You could just get into your car and drive. And I honestly feel like the only reason he hails a cab is so that the AI on his phone can take over the cab's GPS and taunt him. But it could have done that in his car. Yeah, my phone drives me crazy in my car more often than not. It's just it's just full of stuff like that. And then at the end, decides that, oh, no, no, the AI was trying to help him the whole time. This is what it's supposed to do. And all I can think of is, well, that should be the movie where everyone's phone AI is being a sociopath to them, but nobody talks to each other about it. And it's just all these people doing weird things because their phone is fucking with them. Uh, Keeping in fact that that, that the phone does illegal stuff you could sue the manufacturer for. Not that that ever happens. And it's just, it's, it's just like, it's, it's. They just didn't care. It just it it feels like a they just didn't care movie. And the part that really got my blood boiling, I am a writer. This is yet another romantic comedy that doesn't know what writers do, <laughs> but insists on making several characters writers. In in defense of film have to be about writers, nothing is more boring than watching people type. Oh, and also, I mean, the 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 biggest like you know tone deaf the writer moment is that all of these freelance writers and columnists and stuff live in these immaculate apartments yes. in like Park Street yeah. fucking brownstones. This, so this movie this movie commits that same exact sin. They, they, they go to French restaurants and a lark, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're always yeah. bored. They always have like you know all this free time. You know, throwing the tennis ball against the wall. You know. Oh. Right. love. And that's the weird thing. Like the only real advantage you get when you make your main character a writer in a movie like this is that as a writer, yes, you can often make your own schedule. So that does give you a bit of flexibility about when and where the main your protagonist is going to be out doing things. But this is what's nuts. This writer doesn't write from home. The shitty listicles website he writes for has this massive office complex where he goes to write listicles. <laughs> And, like, it's the movie's not smart enough to make that in and of itself a joke. Right. And And, and what what was the name of this film again, Thrasher? Uh, Jexy. I'm guessing it's called Jexy because either they had a really tortured acronym that eventually got dropped from the script, or it had a name kind of like Siri, but every name they used was already taken by another app, and so they eventually had to settle on a nonsense word that sounds kind of like Jaxie, but I'm not going to give the movie credit for being that clever. Uh-huh. Jaxie is a terrible title. It it's sounds not like good. A, you know, it, is. it sounds like a disease or a medicine. For it. I or would, a I would never think what's, what's that movie with Adam Devine? Jaxie? No, that can't be the name. It just, or, or, or a stripper. I don't know. Right. Um, cool. Cool. So, all right. So, I mean, uh, this is, this is our. Uh, let's do the sequel scene. You have uh, whipped up it. It only has two parts, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's more like Natasha. Which part? And what's the context? Oh, so the context is this is after Boris and Natasha have defected, and the CIA has set them up with a fancy apartment in in uh, in. It's supposed to be New York, but it's clearly Los Angeles because that's where they filmed this. Although it's the most Canada-looking part of Los Angeles I've ever seen. Uh, but anyway, they're going through their luggage and they've just discovered something very important has been taken, has been confiscated from their luggage with the CIA. All right. Um, you might I can, have any I can worse. Sit this one. I can sit this one out if uh, I'll let you okay. all give it a... Okay, I'll do Natasha. Then. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, those pigs, those pigs. Those pigs, those pigs. Eh? Wait, what they do, Boris? They took my dynamites. Those pigs, those pigs. Your Natasha sounds a little bit like Mel Brooks. I guess you're How you doing? I'm having swordfish. <laughs> History of the World, part two, coming out on Hulu. Written by Nick Kroll. <laughs> Every cave had an anthem. <clears throat> I found um, on 60mm that short film we did called The Critic. Ah, that won an Oscar, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, I love it. What is this? Lips? They always have to make it dirty. Ugh. Oh, Three yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's a bug. Was that be- out. Watch out, Mr. Bug. Was that before the 5,000 or 10,000-year-old man? Because it sounds like 2,000-year-old man, I guess. I think, uh, I think it has to be during, because as I recall, okay. 
they like uh, Boris, uh, Boris, uh, Mel Brooks and, and, and Carl Reiner did that as like a stage bit, like when they were when they were doing your show of shows. It's a uh, 63. Nice. Um, I did um, recently read, I think it's in GQ or one of those. They did finish filming the Mel Brooks History of the World Part Two on Hulu. And Nick Kroll is pretty heavily involved with it. Um, so when that comes out. Uh, at this point, I think it would have to be at least in 2023, unless there's a lot of special effects work. But I do hope Mel Brooks has a part in it. Maybe as the voice of God is what I would do with him. But um, oh no, you know he has to somewhere. Yeah, and 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 Mel did specifically approach Nick Kroll to do a lot of the writing because he really liked the show, the the Broadway show he did with um, John Mulaney called I think Hello You. Oh hello. <laughs> or hello, where they, where they they play two old Jewish guys on stage. I think it's very funny, but if you have little patience for the material, it's probably unbearable. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of like, a lot of like comedians who kind of came out of podcasting. I find that is the thing: you're either into their shtick or you're not, or you ain't their shtick. I am into their shtick. No one's gonna eat my shtick. Don't be such right. a shtick in the mud. Okay, so we are going to uh, next week that- uh, or next next time. In this uh, cycle of Rocky and Bullwinkle films, what are we? What's the one we're going to do, Thrasher? Uh, we are going to do the uh, the late '90s Dudley Do Right movie, starring Brendan Fraser, who is having a career renaissance at the moment. Uh, and this is also, once again, a Rocky and Bullwinkle adaptation without Rocky and Bullwinkle, based on one of their supporting segments, Dudley Do Right of the Mounties. Nice. Originally, they wanted to cast uh, Kelsey Grammer. As Dudley Do Right, but he wanted too much Why? money. I don't know. Well, because Frasier was popular. Give me that other Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> Give me George Brendan of the Jungle. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. Yes. Uh, although George of the Jungle, that was not on Rocky and Bullwinkle, but that is Jay Ward, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, that was Jay Ward. Uh, that was one of their okay. other shows. George, George, George of the Jungle, jungle yeah. as he can be. A friend to you and me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I always make fun. John Cleese was in one of those George of the Jungle films. Yeah, he was the voice of Ape. With a knot. Um, anyhow, Eric Idle, I think, was in one as well. But it's neither here nor there. Okay. So next time we'll be talking about Dudley Do-Right. So, Canada. Uh, you can... What? Uh, Canada. Yes. I wonder how many uh, A jokes or oh. jokes about poutine they'll have or all dressed chips. Or Tim Hortons. Or socialized healthcare. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, it is oh, set in the 1800s, so I can't imagine there's that much of, so much of that going on. I don't know. I heard a uh, uh, famous uh, hockey player, Tim Horton, invented a time machine to start his coffee franchise early. By the will of my ancestors, poutine goes back to the first light. Poutine's the perfect, like, food for sobering up, though, man. It's Oh, oh man, so poutine's magical. It, I've never had it in Canada, and I, I, I the best I, fucking live so close to there. I should. I ever had was at a hockey rink in Canada. Oh yeah. You know, maybe that's what we should do. We should do. Uh, we should do uh, a week of sequel cast live in Canada. Wow, eating the world's best poutine. God, I want poutine I can, right now. I can try and book us if they'll cover your flights and stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I, I'd be I don't see why that. not. I, I live close to, to crowdfund to our ticket. Prepare. We, we can but try uh, mm, mm. yeah some people did that some uh, uh online critics did that to fund their uh trip to cons but Ooh. oh uh it's okay this is going on a bit yeah so on on twitter you can follow me at m-a-t-w-b-t and you can check out my book at m-a-t-w-b-t.com some of them might only be available on audible for right now i mean a torturous uh um legal process to get kind of all that stuff in order but uh, but anyway yeah. if, if you can buy them just buy them uh so uh my I, I have some upcoming books uh coming up that uh i can't talk about but please look forward to them in the next few years Wink. uh so yep. you can follow me uh on uh Twitter and on Instagram at WT2Art. Uh, I uh, also, uh, if you are looking to do some holiday shopping for the geek in your life, uh, by the time this episode comes out, uh, check uh, on Etsy, A Punch in the Art. 
uh, where some uh, D&D and gaming themed uh, ornaments that uh, my wife and I have designed uh, will be for sale. Very nice. That's great. Uh, are they made out of glass or what's the material? Oh, no, they're made out of a, a durable, very clear plastic. The first generation of these we made a few years ago were glass. We learned that was a mistake very quickly. So our current ones, shatter. you can throw them on the ground and they're not going to shatter. You shouldn't nice, throw uh, them on the ground, but if no. you were to throw them on the ground, they'll still be intact. Nobody's stopping you. Alex? You can find me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Um, I haven't been tweeting much. However, because I've been just mired in a project I've been working on, a short film, which I'll be teasing various still shots from as I... Uh, as I embark upon its completion on um, the title in question, well, you're just going to have to wait and find out. No, it's called I Birth by the ask, Sun. Are you, it's sorry, not a vampire well, movie. Sorry? Oh, no, no, no. I, it, that wasn't, I was going to say, are you? is it being shot on um, like 8mm or what's the... I'm shooting on Super 8, Double 8, and 16mm film developed by myself. ho, <laughs> And you have Buck- a sort of a, la- a home lab set up, I assume? I, I am a bucket developer. I throw chemicals in a bucket, and I put film in it, and I fucking cross my fingers and hope for the best. Please wear gloves. Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Don't burn your skin off. That's, I have yeah. very sensitive okay. skin to boot. Nice. Okay, you don't want to turn into the Joker and fall into the, the vat of uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be Axis chemical developing equipment. He used to be an amateur filmmaker, but now he's a menace to society, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, for a sequel cast two, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying, your crime is my crime. Why don't you give me the potato? It has all the secrets in it. It's hip to be square. square. It's good to be bad. I mean, it's bad to be good. Huh. What is good it? Is it the, the, is it that line in uh, the Ninja Turtles cartoon? It feels so good to be so bad. Right? Well, actually, that's uh, uh, Army of Darkness. I look bad, but I feel good. Mm-hmm.